Dear listeners, welcome back. It's Tia Vento here and you're listening to The British Whisperer, the place to be to know which stories are making the headlines and learn the English you need. On the podcast website, thebritishwhisperer.com, you can find the link to the podcast webpage with the full transcript of each episode and its translation in Italian. In this 10th episode of The British Whisperer, I'm going to focus first on British Airways' new uniform policy, which will allow male pilots and crew to wear makeup, false eyelashes, nail varnish, and even men buns. Yes, you heard well! Then, in a window on Britain, focus on the very British courier's rules behind royal women and courting. Who bends the knee and to whom is a delicate matter. Next, Harry Potter casts his spell once again at Bloomsbury. Bloomsbury says sales of the Harry Potter books by J.K. Rowling, already aided by the pandemic, have risen this year on the 25th anniversary of the first title in the series, a quarter of a century after the schoolboy wizard's adventures first hit the shelves. Finally, we'll have a look at free speech lessons held at Cambridge to contrast cancel culture. Are you ready to get the latest new and learn some new English today? Start with the groundbreaking news from British Airways, which has updated its uniform policy, telling staff to be bold, be proud, and be yourself. The airline said it wants workers to be the most authentic version of themselves, establishing new gender expression rules that allow for male crew to wear makeup. Male cabin crew at British Airways will be allowed to wear a touch of mascara and lipstick in a significant relaxation of its rules and in the flex carrier's latest attempt to foster an inclusive environment. Male crew and pilots will also be allowed to paint their nails and we're told that false eyelashes can help add volume, although the airline is keen that crew do not go overboard. Strictly hairstyle rules have also been eased, with male staff permitted to have longer hair and wear it in a bun. All staff, regardless of gender or gender identity, can now carry a handbag as well. Last year, British Airways dropped the phrase ladies and gentlemen from its onboard announcement in a drive to celebrate the diversity and inclusion of its customers. It has yet to go as far as rival Virgin Atlantic, however, which in September started allowing male cabin and crew to wear skirts and their female colleagues to wear trousers. Virgin was one of the first airlines to relax rules on makeup in 2019 and in May became the first big airline to allow staff to display tattoos. The move by Sir Richard Branson's airline marked a first for the UK aviation industry and comes alongside other reforms such as no longer requiring staff to cover up their tattoos. Virgin said it would allow its crew, pilots and ground staff to choose whether they feel more comfortable wearing a skirt or trousers regardless of their gender so staff can express their true identity. Crew will be able to pick which Vivienne Westford designed the outfit they wear to work, no matter their gender, gender identity or gender expression. 
But British Airways said that it will keep its ban on visible tattoos and will retain female-specific uniforms. A source said that the changes are a part of a gradual updating of the airline uniform policy. So, what are your thoughts on these new relaxed rules for British Airways and Virgin Atlantic? Would you be surprised to be welcomed by a steward wearing a skirt and lipstick? <laughs> Let me know by sending me an email at thebritishwhisper at writeme.com. Let's move now to the royal family and the curious rules behind royal women and curtsing. But before, I'm going to tell you a tidbit that will definitely be news for you. He may not be known for his culinary skills, but the king has revealed his top tips for the perfect Sunday roast. The monarch showed his culinary side during a visit to the headquarters of the supermarket chain Morrison's in Bradford on a two-day trip to Yorkshire. King Charles chatted enthusiastically about the essential elements of a good roast. This smells irresistible, he said, after being presented with a roast rib of beef in the company's development kitchen. The king spoke to chef Mark Richmond about how to best cook it, fast then slow, before asking, what about the roast potatoes? That's key, isn't it? The secret, he said, was to cook the potatoes in the fat from the joint. His intervention will be a surprise to most people who might ask how often the king has cooked Sunday lunch or anything. But he has learned from the best not only a long line of palace chefs, but also his wife, Camilla, who is said to produce an excellent Sunday roast. Well, I have to admit I do agree with King Charles. Potatoes are key. I really love roasted potatoes. What about you, listeners? Okay, so now with the new Mona comes a shake-up in the royal packing order. Let's delve into the baffling protocol of who has to bob to whom. So, imagine this. You're staying with your husband's family over Christmas and each time you enter a room, you have to curtsy to his aunt and his stepmother. Whereas every time his cousins enter the room, they have to curtsy to you. Sounds silly and frankly exhausting, I know, but this is technically what Kate Middleton, now the Princess of Wales, has had to put up with at Sandringham ever since she married Prince William. Based on her position in the pecking order, known as the Order of Precedence, and depending on which royal men were in the room, Kate would have been expected to drop the knee to Princess Anne and Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, as she was, Whereas, Princesses Beatrice and Eugenie might have bobbed to her. As if a family Christmas wasn't thrown enough, huh? Eccentric as it sounds, royal women are expected to bow and curtsy to one another, popping up and down like whack-a-mole, based on a document that the late Queen's private secretary drew up in 2005. It was called precedence of the royal family to be observed at court. And this napoli titled document listed the royal women at their seniority to one another. Quite unfairly, royal men don't have to make complicated mental calculation every time they walk into a room because they simply bow to one another. How fair is this? Well, anyone has to curtsy to Queen Elizabeth II, of course, because she was at the top of the tree. Think of Princess Anne moving curtsy to her mother's coffin as she was carried into the palace of Oliver Rouse when 
the funeral was uh, on. But after that, it became slightly more complicated, and now, following the Queen's death, the order of precedence will inevitably undergo a reshuffle. When Camilla married the then Prince of Wales in 2005, it meant that royal family members, including Princess Anne, would have been expected to curtsy to her as the wife of the heir to the throne. But, bearing in mind the circumstances of the marriage and the further that some felt towards the king's second wife, the late queen reportedly shuffled the order around to avoid upset. Blood princesses such as Anne, Alexandra, Beatrice and Eugenie, who were born royal, were moved forward ahead of Camilla in the order of precedence, whereas Sophie Wessex, that was born a pleb, like the rest of us, did not, for example. In 2012, the year after Prince William married Kate, the order was reshuffled again to slaughter him. Kate would have been expected to curtsy to blood princesses, such as Anne and Beatrice and Eugenie, although not if she was with her husband. You can see why Meghan Markle might have found royal gatherings a bit much. As she wasn't born royal, she would have been expected to curtsy to almost everyone unless Harry was with her, in which case she would also jump ahead of Beatrice and Eugenie, but still have to curtsy to Princess Anne, Alexandra, Aaron's sister-in-law, because William's seniority outranked the death of his brother. Behind closed doors, do they really bother with all this, though? Without the public watching, wouldn't be far simpler to ignore stuffy old rules and act well normally. No, not according to the one mole who says, in the royal family he has witnessed them bobbing to one another. What they do when they are no outsiders present, I can't tell, but I suspect they do curtsy. They all did with the Queen. Well, Bonkers, but that's called protocol for you. And to date, when the royal family make their way to Sandringham every December, they also been expected to arrive in ascending order of status. The late Queen and Prince Billy would have been made their way to the Norfolk Pike, but after that, it was the least important first, Princess Anne's untitled children, Zara and Peter Phillips, for example, until Charles and his wife would arrive last. Given that such rules exist, making everyone so keenly aware of their position, it's little wonder that royal feathers are occasionally ruffled at court. I dare you to tell your sister-in-law that she needs to arrive at your parents' house before you this December, because she's less important. <laughs> right, lovely listeners, let's talk now about Harry Potter, which I must admit I have to confess I'm quite addicted to. The magic of Harry Potter has returned to Booth States at Bloomsbury a quarter of a century after the schoolboy's wizard adventures first hit the shelves. The publisher reported more readers than ever. Demand for books in the Harry Potter series rose by 35% on the first half of last year. As a result, 20 years after it was first published and with aficionados celebrating the anniversary, the paperback of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone has been the second best-selling children's book of the year to date in UK. Sales of the Harry Potter books have increased despite calls for a boycott of author J.K. Rowling over her transgender views. 
It comes amid a furious row over Rowling's criticism of gender ideology in an essay published in 2020 and her concerns about threats to women-only spaces. Her views have seen her branded transphobic and fascist, allegations she completely denies, leading to calls by some fans for a boycott of her work. However, Nigel Newton, chief executive of Bloomsbury, shrugged off the row, saying Harry Potter continues to do the most enormous amount of good in spreading the love of reading among children. Bloomsbury was founded by Nigel Newton, its chief executive, in 1986. Not long after it was floated in 1994, Newton received a manuscript from J.K. Rowling's agent that had been rejected by rivals. You know the story. The resulting Harry Potter books transformed the publisher's fortunes. And we were landed with this fantastic saga. Rowling has been publicly criticised for reviews by members of the Harry Potter films themselves, including Danny Radcliffe and Emma Watson. But earlier this month, Ralph Fiennes, who played Lord Voldemort, defended Rowling, telling the New York Times that the author is facing disgusting abuse. Tom Felton, alias Drago Malfoy, the boy villain of the Harry Potter films, did enjoy the attacks on the book's author as well. He told the Times of London, J.K. Rowling, no one has done more to bring joy to so many generations. And I really couldn't agree more. What are your thoughts on this? Have you read the Harry Potter books or do you really late them? <laughs> well, last but not least, Council Coulter has led Cambridge to offer lessons on free speech. Students at University of Cambridge will be given free speech training in an effort to tackle so-called cancel culture against guest speakers. Well, let's refresh. What's cancel culture? It's a phrase contemporary to the late 2020s to refer to a form of ostracism in which someone in a trust out of social and professional circles, whether it would be online, on social media or in person. Those subject to this ostracism are said to have been cancelled. The session by two academics at Cambridge will aim to teach undergraduates to tolerate views that they disagree with and could be rolled out to more university if successful. The move comes after warnings from the university watchdog that free speech could be stifled on campuses after record numbers of events were cancelled last year. Many events have become to laugh pressure from students, in fact, or societies who claim that the views of some speakers are offensive. The new training scheme is being led by Arif Ahmed, an outspoken Cambridge philosophy professor who will host a two-part series of free speech in training sessions at Gonville and Case College next month. He said it did not matter what degree students were studying, but that a key part of university was learning to respect other views. Whatever subject you are studying, it's an essential part of university education that you understand the need for tolerance of a wide range of views, even ones that you find shocking or offensive, he told the Sunday Telegraph. That's why an education in the basic principles of free speech could be useful for all students. 
He said the training session were for students, but he would consider opening them to fellow academics and suggested that some employed by universities refuse to tolerate views they disagreed with. He added, as we have seen recently, there are also many academics who don't understand the importance of tolerating views that they find offensive. It may be that similar training is necessary for academics, as much as it horrifies me to say that. So, do you agree on the importance of free speech? What do you think about this initiative at Cambridge? You can email me your thoughts at thebritishwhistler at writeme.com or comment on my Instagram page. That brings us to the end of this episode. Quite short, isn't it? Thanks for joining me today. On the podcast website, you can find the link to the podcast page with the full transcript and its translation in Italian. If you enjoy my show, please hit subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss any other episodes. And if you enjoyed it and you would like to help support, please leave a rating and a review. And if you can, a small donation via PayPal to help me support my expenses for the podcast publishing and newspaper subscriptions. To stay up to date with the British Whisper, you can follow me on my Instagram page at the British Whisper and spread the word. You are also welcome to share any feedback, thoughts or ideas writing an email to the British Whisper at writeme.com. And I hope you can take some valuable information from this episode and apply it to your English learning. And be sure to come back next week for a new episode. Until then, I'm Tia and this is the British Whisper.